All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends, near and far, wherever you are. Some of you joining us, maybe even for the very first time. And if you are, I'm Pastor Terry, lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And I'm so happy, thankful, appreciative that you're with us right now and sharing this time. Our series is called A Time to Choose. We're continuing on with it. And we're going to look at, in the minutes to come, an extraordinary, fascinating interaction that took place between Jesus and the temple leaders and authorities. It really is intense. It's like, a, like watching a high level chess match with moves and counter moves, strategic. It is illuminating. Like I said, a high stakes drama that reminds us of a few things. One of which is this, that moving forward with Jesus will always require humility and a willingness to respond to the truth that he is offering us. Listen to me, uh, all of you, my brothers and sisters and friends. He won't force us. He won't force us. He offers us a choice, a choice to believe, a choice to receive. You know, we get to decide that. We get to decide if we're going to be open to what he's offering us or if we're going to go our own way. So with that in mind, let me pray, Lord, I just ask for your blessing over what we're about to share, that you would stir our hearts, create openness, help us to both learn about the passage that we're going to be examining and, and the way in which you interacted and taught us, but also as we, as we do this, to look into our own hearts and to ask you to help us and to meet us and to stir in us a desire to respond to the things that you're wanting us to receive that you have for us. So this is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Matthew 21. It says that when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So it was an interruption. And they asked him a question. They asked Jesus this, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? So there's this entourage, of very high, powerful people, the temple leadership, it was an interruption, as I mentioned earlier, but it was also a question of authority. Jesus, again, is teaching. He's confronted. These were individuals of tremendous influence. They had the authority in the temple. They were in control. That's the point. They had a way of doing things. But Jesus was not submitting to their culture or their process. He was actually operating outside the system. And they came to him, and they, they said essentially... What are you doing? <laughs> so, they pushing the crowds away. They came to him. They said, what are you doing? Look, we're in charge here, right? This is, if you haven't noticed, this is our domain. We have a very delicate situation here with Rome. How can we put this? We have agreements. There's an order <laughs> to how things are being done. So that question, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave it to you? It was actually designed to get right at that. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus himself was not interested in answering the question the way they were demanding it be answered. Who gave you the authority to do what you're doing right now was the question. Now, for a moment in our mind's eye, let's try to imagine this. Jesus has most likely been sitting they're pushing their way through the people who've been listening to him. They push him 
with these with this question. And what what he does catches us off guard because he doesn't answer their question, at least not the way that they <laughs> were demanding he should. Look what it says in verse 24. Jesus answered them, I will also, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus said, I, yeah, I'll answer your question. I just need you to answer this question first. <laughs> then I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing this. And I can imagine them all kind of caught off guard, maybe looking at one another. Hmm. There's no panic in Jesus whatsoever. Just precision and poise. The crowd was engaged, watching with keen eyes as this entire exchange unfolded. What are they going to do? This was Jesus's question to them. He offered to answer if they would answer this. And so Jesus asked this question. He said, the baptism of John, from where did it come? Did it come from heaven or did it come from man? You know, initially it seems as if Jesus is game playing, but it was, it was way more than a gimmick or a trick. Perhaps there was a little gamesmanship to it. I, I'm not going to say there wasn't any, but it was actually an answer to their question. This is the thing. Or better stated, the answer to their question was contained in his question. They wanted to know by what authority, right? Um, Jesus felt he could do this in the temple without checking in with us first. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, basically, John the Baptist, he's already answered the question. And since he proclaimed Jesus as the one sent by God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah that has come to us, it was almost like Jesus was saying, it's really simple, actually. If you believe that John was a, a true prophet sent by God, then you already have your answer. <laughs> no you, already, you already got it answered. The question's been answered. But if you believe it, if, well, how about this? If you don't believe that John was sent by God, then no answer that I give you uh, about my authority and, and who I am, will, it will, nothing will satisfy you. And then the entire discussion is moot. It's meaningless because we are fundamentally divided about what God is doing and, and you've already made up your mind. So if I can summarize it and put it in another way, it's like Jesus was saying, if you reject John, then no answer. If you reject John and what I, what he taught, said about me, then no answer that I give will suffice. Nothing. But if you accept what John taught about me, then you already have your answer as to who I am and by what authority I, I do these things. And so the entire discussion is unnecessary. <laughs> Look what it says. And they discussed it among themselves, right? This was a concern for them. They, they were stuck. They discussed it among themselves saying, if we say, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why don't you not believe him? But if we say from man that John was not someone who spoke, on behalf of God, not a true prophet, then, then we're afraid of the crowd because they all believe John to be a prophet. Whether or not he was, they believe he was. And so they answered, 
Jesus, verse 27, we don't know. We, we, we don't know. <laughs> Which wasn't true. <laughs> they, they just didn't want to say what they believed about John. And he said to them, well, I mean, if we're not going to have an honest conversation, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, right? You lack honesty, Jesus said. And if we can't be honest, then we don't need to pursue this any further. Let's stop. You know, it's as if Jesus is saying, as he still does today. Yeah, he still says this today. I'm not interested. He says this to every man and every woman. And he says it to us. I'm not interested in proving myself. I'm not. I'm not interested in trying to argue you into faith. No, what I'm doing right now, just as Jesus would say this to you and me, is I'm inviting you into the good news. I am inviting you into the good news, and it's your time to choose. I'm inviting you into the good news, and it's your time to choose. And remember this, the prouder we come, the harder it is to get to him. And the more humble we come, the easier it is to find him. You know, if we're to enter the kingdom, Jesus taught us, we've got to come like a little child. We, we can't enter into the kingdom like the grand inquisitor standing in judgment. You make the case and then I'll believe. No, it's, it doesn't. Now, I need to say this as well. That doesn't mean that we're, you know, that we're not invited to think. We are. And certainly there is such thing as a thoughtful, reasonable faith. And that's something that I hold to. I mean, if you really get down to it, Jesus was mo the most brilliant thinker this world has ever seen. I'm going to say it. He was the most brilliant thinker this world has ever seen. The, think of the greatest minds in the world, and Jesus was greater. There's nobody greater. There's nobody smarter. There was no better thinker. Einstein, you know, <laughs> Kant, however we want to go down the line, walk down the line. Think of the greatest philosophers of all time. Nietzsche, whatever. None of them can match Jesus. Plato, Aristotle, <laughs> the list is endless. Nobody matches Jesus. There's nobody smarter than him. And if that's the case, because, you know, he, he wasn't, and yet there's this amazing thing about Jesus. He could, he could befuddle, if you will. He could, he could stand with the greatest minds of his day, but he also could, and this is the beauty of Jesus. He could, he could come and reach the common people and touch them in their places of greatest needs and communicate with them the gospel. Uh, I'm not going to call it just the simple-minded, but, but they were relatively speaking, uneducated, simple folk. And, and Jesus, they loved Jesus. It says the poor received him gladly. Think about that. The ones who had the hardest time with him were the intellectuals and the power brokers and the rich and the famous, if you will. And yet Jesus didn't, didn't close the door for them either. This was part of what made Jesus who he was. And it's a good model for you and me. So what I guess I was getting at was Jesus was not advocating a thoughtless faith. In fact, at this very moment, he was inviting them to think. You think about what he was doing. He was inviting them to connect the theological dots. He was inviting them to follow the path that would lead them to him. He said, go back to John. This one, if you believe he was sent from God, and I hope you do, but I'm not sure if you do, but if you do, 
He already answered the question as to who I am. Just follow what he said. Again, choosing to accept Jesus and follow him doesn't mean that we set our minds on neutral, that we can't ask questions or struggle with our faith. You know, listen, God can handle our sincere doubts. He can handle our reluctant faith. He can handle our questioning love, and he can handle our honest inquiries. But what he has a clear record of refusing to abide is <clears throat> demanding arrogance that says, you must prove yourself to me. In fact, he, he is repulsed by it. The Bible tells us God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this leads us to another principle, something I want us all to see and understand, something that Jesus is going to teach us here loud and clear. Here it is. Increased understanding, we might call that revelation, is usually dependent on responsiveness to what has been revealed. I'll say that one more time. Increased understanding is usually dependent on responsiveness to what has been revealed. It's another way of saying we will only be given more when we embrace what we have been given as a pastor <laughs> and also as a follower of Jesus myself, but as a pastor, as someone who's watched people follow Jesus, watch people come to Christ, watch people, yes, even sometimes fall away. Through these decades, I've seen so many things and um, I've had times of great joy watching people as they opened up their hearts to the Lord and I've watched with deep sadness as some have walked away. But, I, I, yeah, I've marveled over this, this principle, actually. That it's only when we embrace what we've been given that more will open up to us. You know, they wanted to know about Jesus and his authority. They demanded he justify himself. And he said, you will not be given the privilege of understanding until you are willing to embrace what God has first given you through John. You will not be given the privilege of understanding who I am until you are willing to first embrace the promise that, uh, that was given by John, the statement that he made about the coming Messiah. And if you are willing to do that and hear the words that he spoke, then you will be able to receive the words that I am now wanting to speak to you. And I just want to apply this because if I can say this, loved ones, frequently in life, we're going to be faced with situations where we want God to open big doors for us. It might be in relation to a job, something that's going on in our career. It might have to do with a relationship, a provision that we, we really need. It might be financial. It might even be health wise. Hey, it could be something we're dealing with right now. It might have to do with a deal that we need to happen or a dream that we are pursuing, something we're trying to launch, a project, a small business. It might have to do with clarity. It might have to do with direction. It might have to do with, well, finding ourselves at a crossroad. Well, we've come to this place in our lives where we, we kind of have to make a decision. Am I going to go this way or am I going to go this way? That the road ahead of me is split in directions that are going in opposite ways. What do I do? Where, which one do I take? Which path? Sometimes we look down those roads and, and, and we've come to this, this why. <laughs> and, in, and in this why in the road, <laughs> we are of a why inside of us. <sighs> you know, one road, both of them maybe look like they're fraught with risks 
and potential pitfalls. Which one should we take? Which, what do we do? Uh, how are we to discern his will? You know, aside from obvious markers like scripture and godly counsel and prayer, by the way, none of which should be minimized. I'm not trying to minimize that. I think each of those three things, like a three-legged stool, are very important for when we are seeking to discern his will in our lives and having to choose a path to take. Again, the scriptures, getting great godly counsel, reasoning together with others who are trustworthy in Christ, and prayer, seeking to clarify and understand asking God to reveal himself and what he would have us to do and to give us peace about uh, a move that we may be considering to make or a warning if we feel like, say, you know, Lord, I'm not sure, could you please close this door or at least make things unsettled for me if, 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 if it's something that I'm doing that's going to end up injuring myself or hurting others or pull me away from you. But, you know, aside from those clearer things that are, to me, just absolute wisdom, right? Scriptures, godly counsel and prayer, I think one other piece should be added to the equation. Here it is. Are we honoring the small entrustments that we have been given? Yeah, I'll say that one more time. Are we honoring the small entrustments that we have been given? You see, as we contemplate the future, are we, are we being faithful in the present? As we contemplate our future, are we being faithful in our present? There's been a few times where I know the Lord has tried to really say to me, and this is how I've heard it, Terry, you're so worried about <laughs> what's, what's ahead. What I need you to do right now is just be faithful in what is in the now. Hmm. Because your anxiety or your restlessness about what is the future is really inhibiting your ability to be faithful in the now. So this is something I really found true. And I want to share it with you. Is that the big will of God often involves naturally out of obedience to the little will of God. I know taking a risk there using those terms, but the big will of God often evolves naturally out of obedience to the little will of God. I mean, from our perspective, right? They maybe in the smaller things, the big breakthroughs are usually connected to a series of little obediences. That's what I found. In other words, it may be quite useless to wait on God to open big doors when we are unfaithful or overly casual with the small entrustments. I need you to do this, God. I need you to do this, God. But what are we doing? Are we doing our part? You know, we want God to bless our lives and to create this big deliverance. But faithfulness and little things matters to God. We have so many teachings that he gave us that remind us of this truth. You know, the parable of the pounds, the parable of the talents, the one who's uses what they've been given will be given more. The one who puts on the shelf what they've been given, it'll be taken from them. Wow, that, that's something for you and me to really sit with. Time and time again, we are taught this in the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus that how we honor small and, well, sacred entrustments matter. The extra care, the extra mile, the extra word, the thank you given. That all mattered to Jesus. It does. Still matters now. The fidelity of our good work as under the Lord, how we work matters. Even when, no, even maybe especially when no one matters, maybe that 
maybe when no one notices that it matters even more, right? Our commitment to the tithe matters. We know that from scripture. In Malachi, we're reminded, why does a man rob God? Why does a woman rob God? They say, well, we're, we, they said to him, where have we robbed you? He says, in the tithe and in the offering. You haven't honored me in the 10th. Bring it to the storehouse. See what I will do. The Lord makes very clear that anyone who's dedicated and devoted to him at a minimum will, will really honor him in their tithe and in their offerings. And it's something that matters to God. I'm not just saying it. I really believe it. And I do it in my own life and have been. And I've watched the Lord honor his promises as many of you have. And if you haven't had a chance to try tithing and to see what God can do, how he can do more with the 90 than we can do with the 100, give it a shot. He'll never regret it. But like I've been saying, I mean, that, you know, whether it's, it's tithing or generosity or just how we work and, and how we are working when no one's even watching, uh, it matters. The, how we finish things, how we complete things, we call it that last 5% that makes a difference between a solid effort and a great work or excellent effort that matters. Some of us, we just need to finish better. And I'm not suggesting there's, there's not a time to just do adequate work. I'm a big believer in that. There are some things that the goal should be just to start and do something consistently adequate. But there are a lot of times where our big breakdown occurs because we put a ton of effort into something, but we didn't complete it. I think about Jesus in the garden on the precipice of Calvary. He had gone 95% of the way. He was right there on the precipice in the garden praying. He just needed to finish it. That last 5%, the way of the cross. I'm thankful he did it. Any, any models for us, what we are to do as well. But let's finish by going back to the exchange that Jesus had because he wasn't done. And uh, he sets the table for where I'd like us to go next week. It says, for after Jesus asked the leaders the question about John's baptism. So after that exchange, <laughs> when they said, what authority do you have? And he said, look, I'll answer your question as to my authority. If you answer mine, John's baptism, was it from God or not? You know, was, do you believe he was sent from God? Because if you do, then you already answered your question. You know where my authority's from. It's from the one <laughs> that God, that, that John said God gave to me. <laughs> right? That's my authority. If you believe it, that I am who John says I am, then we have no issues here. But he wasn't done. Jesus wasn't done because he saw that they were having a hard time with this question. And so after he asked, his, asked them that question, he, which he did in front of that gathered crowd, after he asked for their opinion, which they were stuck, he says, oh, let me tell you a story. Okay. Now, whenever Jesus says, let me tell you a story, there's usually a purpose behind it. And this is the story we call the parable of the two sons. It's not the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the two sons. And like I said, we're going to explore it a little bit more in depth next week, but it is, it is a fantastic little piece. Jesus says, since we're having, since you're having a hard time answering the question I'm asking of you, um, let me ask you another one. What do you think? There was this man and he had two sons. And he went to the first one. He said, son, 
go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, that son answered, I will not. I don't want to, whatever the reason. But afterwards, he changed his mind. And he went. And then he went to the other son. Remember, he had two. And he said the same thing. Son, I, I, I need you to go and work in the vineyard today for me. I, I need you to do that. And, and that son answered, I will go, sir. <laughs> but he did not go. Hmm. Then Jesus, I think after a pause, looking at them and scanning the crowd, he said, <laughs> which of these two did the will of the father? And, you know, the parable is framed by two questions. It really is. Look at it, the front and back. He starts out by saying, what do you think? Which of the two did the will of his father was the back end. So what do you think? And which of the two did the will of his father? When we come back to this, Lord willing, next week, we're going to see that it really was for both of these two sons a, a time to choose. And it reminds us that all of us in the end are going to have to decide, aren't we? We are going to have to decide a number of things, the same things that the, the temple authorities were being asked to wrestle with. We are going to have to decide who we believe Jesus is. This is the supreme question. Who do we believe Jesus is, right? If we believe he is who he said he was, God's only son, his gift given to us, the very representation of the heart of God's love, the purpose of the universe revealed, all that has true meaning centered in him. If we really believe that he, the gentle teacher, is the one to show us the way, the truth, and the life, well, then that's going to have a lot of implications, isn't it? But we get to decide that. We get to decide who we believe Jesus is. God's not going to force us. The other thing is even more is once we've made that decision, we get to decide if we're going to live a, a life that's committed to doing the will of the father. That's just as important. I may believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. I may, my, may even confess him as my Lord, but am I going to do am I, what he's asking me? Am I going to live a life that's committed to doing the will of the father? Think about that. That was the story that Jesus used. That was the, what the parable was getting at. Which of these two did the will of the father? The choice is ours. By the way, the choice to do the will of their father was a choice that Jesus made to do the will of his father. And it's a choice <laughs> that you and I are invited to make once and forever to choose to give Jesus our broken selves, to choose to surrender our life to him. It's something that we do once, and in that sense, we say, Lord, I want you to be my savior. I open my heart to you. I want you to come into my life, cleanse me of my sin. I repent of who I've been and I turn my eyes towards you. And we are now to make a journey, a lifelong journey together. That choice to give, Lord, if you'll have me, I want to come. I want to follow you, right? That's a choice we're all invited to make. Not just once, but over and over again, really, if you think about it. And we make that choice to follow him in in big and in little ways, 
over the course of a lifetime and every day. That's why Jesus said, pray this prayer every day. Sometimes the choice to follow him and do the will of the father is easy. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it, <laughs> it costs us nothing but joy. <laughs> That's the price of it. I'm so blessed. Other times to do his will. Yeah, it comes with suffering. I'm not going to lie about that. Sometimes the reward of choosing to receive him and to follow him and to do his will. Sometimes the reward is in the moment. The blessing is in the season. But sometimes that blessing is deferred and uh, it will come to us as Jesus taught us when our time on earth is done. But my prayer <laughs> is that you would choose him now and forever. Uh, I call him my forever friend. That's what Jesus is, my forever friend, my forever friend. He's my king, he's my savior, he's my Lord, but he's also my forever friend. Oh, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, this life and beyond. And you know, that I ask that, that we would choose to walk with him in such a way that it is revealed in the big things in life, the big choices we make, the big decisions, our biggest priorities, talked about those, and also by the little choices and the smaller things that when they all add up, they make, make up one big thing. When, that we may honor him when I, all eyes are upon us and we may honor him when no one sees or notices, only the Father who is in heaven sees it. This, I believe, is the way of Jesus. And it's the way of blessing. And the choice will always be ours. So with that in mind, let's share this song. And then I'll come back around and close this out. Here we go. You're the way. 
Lord Jesus, help us to choose to follow you. You know, you're our Lord, you're our King, you're our Savior. As Thomas said, my Lord and my God. As Peter said, where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as Jesus taught us, he is our friend. Wow. My forever friend, your forever friend. Don't ever forget it, how deeply loved you are. It's stunning. It's amazing. May his face shine upon you and may he keep you in every way. May he be the Lord of your life in the big and the Lord of your life when no one is watching in the small. Lord Jesus, giver of all that is good, let your goodness rest upon us. This we pray in your name. Amen.